I feel like I'm missing out because it seems like everyone is either starting a side hustle or becoming their own boss. And you know what these people are hearing a lot? Cha-ching! Shopify new sale sound. That's the sound of another new sale on Shopify. The all-in-one commerce platform that helps you start up, run and grow your own business. Shopify is the commerce platform that's revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling stuff that you design and create yourself in the home and garden, fashion or health and beauty industries. Or perhaps it's something you're upcycling to give it a whole new look and a whole new use for sale. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your own business. Covering all of your sales channels, from a shopfront-ready point-of-sale system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform, Shopify can even get you selling across lucrative social media marketplaces such as Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. Because it's full of industry-leading tools ready to ignite growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand, so you don't need to learn any new skills in design or coding. And thanks to award-winning help and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. Now what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want your business to grow, it's there each step of the way to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business up to that next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. What are you waiting for? That next level is a real possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash enthusiast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash enthusiast to take your business to the next level today. shopify.co.uk slash enthusiast. Hello all, and the warmest of welcomes to the True Crime Enthusiast podcast, your regular slice of true crime from my corner of North Wales, that I scour the depths of the UK and Ireland to bring to you usually the more unfamiliar, often obscure, sometimes unbelievable tales of true crime that I find from these shores. I am as ever Paul, the creator, host and true crime enthusiast of the show's title, my beloved black and white feline friend, Pixie, the true crime enthusiast cat, is here with me as ever, though he is fast asleep right now in his bed by my side, as per usual. So don't expect to hear his little bell much. And we are accompanied by yourselves, the wonderful enthusiasts that make the show happen. It's simple as. It is as wonderful as always having you join us today, which I thank you kindly for, and I do hope that as you have, it's for a time around that finds you and yours all good, all safe, and all well. So, ahead of the new series coming out, which will be coming with you shortly, I sat down when I was researching some tales for it the other day, and it struck me I haven't done a review of the last series yet. So, to keep my hand in with this recording and all that, because you can become match unfit quite quickly you know it's always good to keep doing this and what better thing to do than bring you the series 8 review so it'll be a bit rough and ready i might stumble over a few words and everything like that but i'm not going to go in depth full on each tale that i've brought out of the 33 from last series you know it would be a roll bloody night but 
what so what I'll do is just bring you sort of a snippet of it and yeah I'll look back on some of the tales so I'll just refresh it up there right now so I started the series back in February last year with a two-part tale Poacher, Petman and Predator covering the murder of Leanne Turnan in the year 2000 in Leeds by John Taylor now it's a tale that I've long wanted to bring that was it's actually an episode that I'd written about a year before or I'd written half of it and it just never found its way into series seven but series eight I thought right yeah I'm starting with that and I got to go to the scenes as well which I did detail in some videos and stuck up in the show's Facebook group now I was particularly struck when I went to the scenes of just from where Leanne was abducted in Huffley Gill how close it was to her home and how close it was to John Taylor's home. He even took a video where I walked, and bearing in mind that somewhere I'd never been, I had Google Maps to find it exactly, and it took something like seven minutes to do. Through a busy housing estate, it was just, it was quite chilling, and I thought to myself, what an opportunistic predator that is. And Taylor is long suspected of doing other crimes indeed. He received a whole life tariff only a couple of years ago, after admitting several other rapes dating back from the 1970s so this guy has done countless other things there is a couple of suspected uh, death there is a couple of murders that he is prime suspecting i believe and you never know what might be looked at later on in the next series so watch this space so i followed that up then with a tale that was recommended to me by a listener and i called an episode the kill list which detailed the murder of dr david burkett back in Middlesbrough in February 1990 by a disturbed individual named Reginald James Wilson. Now, this guy, proper it was a proper blitz, violent, horrendous attack on a doctor who he, he didn't seem to have any knowledge that the, the only thing that they could possibly tie Wilson and Dr. Burkitt to is that Wilson used to sniff glue in an alleyway behind Dr. Burkitt's house and he may have shouted at him in the past and told him to bugger off you know it, it was the most tenuous reason for choosing someone to kill and this guy as soon as dr burke opened the door he launched into a horrendous attack with a hammer left him bludgeoned beyond belief but then he taunted the police with letters that they knew would be from the killer because it revealed details about the crime scene that only the killer could know and this guy would have gone on to kill others particularly police officers He's a very dangerous individual who still remains incarcerated to this day and is likely never to be released. He's been disruptive prisoner while he's been inside as well. So the Houses of Blood episode came following the kill list and we looked at the murder of Julia Rawson by Nathan Maynard Ellis and David Leasley in May 2019. Now, this pair were serial killer and horror film enthusiasts. The flat was filled with disturbing books and models that Maynard Ellis had built. And he picked this woman, Julia, up in, in a bar one night, just on the pretense she went home with him for whatever reason. She must have been so filled with fear after she walked into that flat, seeing things like the Hellraiser head with pins coming out of it and the Chucky doll there and all sorts of disturbing stuff like that, you know, and she was butchered by Maynard Ellis and Leesley, who dismembered her, chopped her into tiny pieces, and scattered her body like pieces of rubbish, just around the local area, with no sort of, 
no 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 kind of clear plan to get away with the crime you know they they were inevitably picked up after being seen on cctv dumping bags that sadly contained julia and i think these guys would have done it again had they not been caught it would have been too would have been too much of a lure not to do very disturbing individuals and two of them that yeah you kind of belong behind bars you do you nuts one of the most tragic tales that I've ever covered on the show followed that, and it was an episode simply called Colette. So up to the murder of Colette Gallagher. It's a four-year-old girl in February 1986 by her neighbour, Adam George Stein, in Northampton, who lured her for an errand to buy crisps. And then when she brought crisps back for him, on her way, to, on her way walking to school, when she brought the crisps back for him, he raped her, and then he suffocated her with cling film and hid her body in the loft. Then, when obviously the uproar of a missing child hits the town and everybody goes looking for her, Stein actually joined in with the searches as well. An absolute monstrous crime. Now, he was very recently released on licence, having served, wow, 36 years, I think. But he's been recalled a couple of times as he breaks the conditions of his licensing. And, you know, it's not revealed exactly what it is, but some people just shouldn't be released. You know, this guy is obviously still dangerous, still not right to be out. Now, Colette's sisters, actually, her two sisters got in touch with me following the episode airing. And I have to say they were full of praise for me telling the story. Now, that's not me showing off or anything like that, but it's why... I always have the integrity to tell someone's tale with compassion and because there's a real person you're talking about here and real people are affected. The families, you never know who's going to hear such an episode. So you don't want to be making jokes about their loved ones or you be as respectful as you can. And I know hand on heart that I always try my utmost to be like that. So it meant a lot to collect sisters. And if they do hear this, then I thank you very much. And once again, you have my greatest sympathy for your loss. Absolutely heartbreaking story. So after such a horrendous story, I thought it needed a bit of bit of light-hearted. I get like that sometimes, you know. You can you can just cover houses of blood before then, then a horrific story such as Colette's, and you need to do something to lighten the mood a bit. So I brought a mix of strange tales called They Really Do Walk Among Us, which details some bizarre crimes that are out there, you know, such as the woman who was substituting lint chocolates for marbles and ball bearings. Yeah, this woman was buying chocolates in a shop, then she was carefully opening the package, swapping the round chocolates for ball bearings, marbles, as I say, then putting them back into the box and taking the box back to the shop for a refund, which would go back on the shelf, and someone would buy it, bite into a marble, and think to yourself, why do you do that? You know, there was another fella in the same episode who had a really, really bad day once, smashed up his office, sacked from his job straight away, obviously, and blamed Disney for it, bizarrely. There was another individual who wasted countless hours of the NHS's time and ambulances and effort like that because of his obsession with feet. Yeah, right, weird dude. And the strangest one of the lot is the strange, and this is a bit of a sad tale as well, but the strange and sad individual who's on a cycle of being arrested and jailed for obstructing traffic. And he always stands in the exact same spot on the exact same street in Swansea, near the police station. 
And when he's subsequently arrested and goes to court, he doesn't say a word. He remains silent. He can't speak. He just chooses not to. He won't even enter a plea in court or anything like that. It's very, very sad tale. Very sad tale indeed. It really is. It's worth a listen. So I followed that with a two-part one then, and it was a bit of a local tale for me, which concerned the one-man crime spree of an individual named Jordan Davidson, who terrorised my home city of Wrexham in 2017 in a crime spree that involved failed armed robberies, rucks of burglaries, and knife crime, assaults, all sorts of things like that. And it culminated in the horrific murder of pensioner Nicholas Churton, who Davidson absolutely butchered. I mean, I'm talking hacking limbs off and like that awful, awful crime. Now, a very dangerous individual indeed, as, as which as wielding a machete and doing something like that to someone would suggest, you know, I don't really need to say that, do I? But he was arrested shortly afterwards and he was overpowered, tasered, properly taken down, you know, he fought like a bear to get away. While he was on remand awaiting trial, and he's now doing something like 35 years, he's doing life sentence now anyway, but... While he was on remand, he slashed the throat of a prison officer, and I believe he's also done for attempted murder of that as well, so nasty individual indeed, although the, all these people are, but particularly disturbed at the horrendous childhood, which I won't go into, I didn't in the episode, I was told something in confidence by a friend of mine, and I didn't put it into the episode, let's just say there was part of a reason why he acted like he did, I don't need to say any more, pretty much. So I followed that up with a tale called Killing for Killing's Sake, which dealt with the murder of dog walker Debbie Buxton in 1994 in Derbyshire by a man named David Bond, who hadn't long been released from a prison sentence for similar, though non-fatal, attacks. Now another nasty-sounding individual indeed, and who, who just struck at random. He was just like he was riding round the area on a mountain bike, as though he was itching to kill someone. He'd broken into a church shed, I think, a few days before and procured the weapons to do it and murdered Debbie quite horrifically. She was proper battered to death in the most brutal fashion. And again, rightly doing so, rightly doing life. He has recently as well been refused parole, having served now. So he went down in 1995, he was arrested pretty much straight away and he went down the following year. So he served nearly 30 years inside and he has been refused parole He's still not right to be released. Too dangerous. What made it especially tragic was that her husband was almost the one to discover her. For such a horrendous crime, he doesn't deserve to walk the streets again. Now another individual who I didn't particularly like when I researched the tale was the focus, was, was part of the focus of the following episode called Control. It was an airline pilot named Peter Chilvers who subjected his partner, Magdalena Lasica, to such coercive and controlling behaviour that in 2017 she snapped and stabbed to death their baby son. Obviously you can't excuse that behaviour and Magdalena is doing a 15 year sentence for manslaughter right now. But Chilvers is responsible for chipping away at her psyche with his behaviour. If you listen to the episode, some of the things that he did or said or the way he behaved, an absolutely vile individual. Some people you just don't like on sight. And the more that I learned about him through researching, I just couldn't stand him even more. It built up and built up. 
horrible individual. If you've not yet heard the episode, have a listen to Control, see what you think. Though I reached into a tale from the Patreon archives following this, an episode called Disfigured, which brought two disturbing tales from Scotland, one concerning an individual named Gordon Modiac, who contracted a hitman to disfigure his wife Louise with acid in Glasgow in the early 1990s. Now, this poor woman had sulfuric acid thrown straight into her face. It disfigured her beyond belief. She lost her eyesight, you know, she was... At one time she was a model and she went from that to being so cruelly, horrendously disfigured because she'd left him, because he's a scumbag. Anybody who even thinks to do something like that, you can imagine the type of husband that he would be. And he he did get a life sentence for it. I think he served about 20 years. He was was released. He was returned to prison for for attempting to slash the throat of a, a nightclub bouncer in Blackpool. Of all the bizarre things. So, a leopard doesn't change its spots, you know. Again, he probably shouldn't have been released. If he's going to do something like that afterwards, no, not at all. Now, the second account of the episode, Disfigured, featured a guy called Leonard Bowie, who literally scalped two women in Aberdeen over an almost 20-year period due to having a hair fetish. You know, he went down, he did it in in the mid-1980s, went down for it, was released then did it again. You know, I believe I believe Bowie died in prison a few years ago, but these random tales that you find like that and you think, you know, there are some monsters out there. Now, the following episode brought two accounts that went back further than we usually do on the show, right back to the Second World War this time, and a very tenuous link in an episode called Blame It on the Book, which one account of the tale involved a book as a clue to the possible motive, and in the other, the perpetrator attempted to blame the murder on a person named Book. So, very tenuous, a bit of a play on words, of course. I thought they were both fascinating accounts, and I think it's always good to look a bit further back, because you do find some proper interesting tales much further back than you'd normally look. It just takes a bit of perseverance. Now, the next episode brought an anthology of tales documenting the crimes of a person named Andrew Flood, someone named Stuart Woodcock, and a guy named Richard Cullen. In an episode I called The Driver, The Dreamer, and The Devil Worshipper. And each of these killed horrifically, in Flood's case, two people. For the most trivial of reasons, you wouldn't believe it unless you hear the tales behind them. And... I include tales like this in a three, say, and make an anthology episode, because I'll come across something sometimes, and there just isn't that enough about them through researching to make a full episode to the length that I like to do, but whose tales that I feel compelled to bring. And so what I'll do is research as much as I can, and then I'll park that and think, right, we'll add that in somewhere else. Hence, it makes a tale called The Driver, The Dreamer, The Devil Worshipper. I followed that up with a very, very sad tale of Daniel Joseph in an episode called A Boy Called Daniel. It was a young, deaf wrestling fanatic with mental health issues who, back in Brixton in 1998, and after being failed by the system that was supposed to look after him, he slipped through the gaps this poor lad did, and he snapped and killed a lady that he was lodging with. 
by using moves of the wrestlers that a hero worshipped against her, an elderly lady. You know, he's a very, very disturbed lad and I believe he's still in Broadmoor to this day. So I followed Daniel's tale up with an episode based around the similar similar themes. I thought, wrestling moves, there's bound to be plenty of people who've done, tried to copy some silly things like they see The Undertaker do, or The Rock, or Stone Cold Steve Austin, or John Cena, or people like that. And I did find some tales of individuals who had seriously injured people while they were emulating wrestling moves, be it in a drunken argument, or most horrifically of the account, the tale of Delith Andrews, a woman in her mid-50s who back in 2015 was murdered in such a way by three brothers, the sons of a lady who was in effect cuckooing at her home. Delith had kindly invited this lady who had fallen on about hard times to come and stay with her rent-free, and this woman immediately took advantage, moved her three sort of teenage sons in, began taking Delith's incapacity benefit and for herself and everything, effectively cuckooed herself into the house, and these three lads took it upon themselves one night to absolutely just abuse Delith to amuse themselves, and did horrendous things to, to her, you know, to a woman in her mid-50s who was so badly injured that, that her bed was smashed to smithereens, there were pictures of it, I think I did share on the show's Instagram page, but her bed was smashed to smithereens, and so badly injured was she, that she passed away from her injuries in hospital about a couple of weeks later. Now, all three are rightly doing life sentences now, it's just monstrous. You know, what type of individual does something like that to someone? We followed one wrong move up with the disturbing tale of Mark Corner in an episode called Unprotected. Now, Corner, who back in 2003 murdered sex workers Pauline Stephen and Hanan Parry in Liverpool, then dismembered them and mixing their remains together, just ushered them all into a bin bag, just left them in a squalid alleyway behind his flat. Now, he was caught pretty much straight away, and I believe he is still in a secure psychiatric institution to this day. He clearly needs to be warped individual, severely mentally ill, and he would have gone on to do it again. Of course he would have. The next episode is probably the series' most controversial ones, and it concerned an unnamed individual from South Wales. It was the series' Monsters Of episode, and this time it was Monsters Of Carmarthenshire, with a tale called Mr X. Now, this concerned, as I just said, an unnamed individual from South Wales who, over the course of two decades, raped three of his own daughters into the thousands, fathering six of his own grandchildren with one of them, and then he began assaulting one of his grandchildren as well, and he received a 40-year sentence for this in 2019. It is a horrendous story. It was I was filled with revulsion when I was researching it. I really was, but I don't shy away from a story like that. Monsters like that need to be highlighted, not out of sensationalism or anything like that. And I did get a bit of flack for this one, for the choice of this case, including someone who got in touch who said they'd stopped listening to the show because I'd chosen it. So, as I just said, it was never to sensationalise it. I don't do that at all. Because it's truly a horrific tale, but that's what true crime is. And I won't shy away from telling any tale because it's an uncomfortable subject for someone. Because all crime is horrible to someone after all. However big or small it is there is a victim in it 
each time. Followed this up with a two-part episode called The Romeo, where I brought you the tale of bed-hopping music teacher Andrew Lindo, who to cover up an affair he was having, or affairs because he was into all sorts, he was in and out of beds like a gardener's fork. He murdered his wife Marie to cover up this affair, and he came up with an elaborate charade of pretending she'd done a flit abroad with a lover, whilst the remains were in a hold-all in the garage of the family home. And this guy was posting fake Facebook statuses from Marie and texting her family and friends saying, oh, I'm away with a lover, I'm getting my head straight, don't get in touch with me, don't worry about me, I'm alright, and everything like this. And obviously, he was eventually discovered, and he's still, and he's another one, and deservedly so. What a monster. What a prick. He's up there with Chilvers for me. The next tale up was an episode called Sins of the Father, which were the tales of Zainal Abedin Zaidi and Gary Fisher, who back in the 2000s committed that most awful of crimes, murdering their own children. Well, in Zaidi's case, his estranged wife also. Now Fisher, though he was a violent criminal, was in a period of calm when he murdered his own daughter, with no real explanation for doing so. Absolutely monstrous tales, you know. Best I can say is if you've not heard them, have a listen in, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. Another two-part tale came next, and it was another localish tale for me, this time from the town of Flint, looking at the murder of 15-year-old Janet Cummins, who was raped and killed one evening back in 1976 after she'd sneaked out of the house after she'd been told to stay in to meet some friends. Now, a young man named Noel Jones was quickly arrested, charged, and ultimately pleaded guilty to Janet's murder. But he was innocent all along, and due to his illiteracy, he was confused and somewhat browbeaten into confessing. Somewhat browbeaten. You have to listen to the episode to see what I mean. It took almost 40 years, and the breakthrough in DNA profiling... But Janet's real killer, Stephen Huff, was ultimately identified and faced justice for his crime. He lived something like 50 yards away from where her body was found. Because it's a localish tale, it's another one that I went to the scenes and took extensive videos with. So if you're in the show's Facebook discussion group, and if you've not heard the episode yet, have a listen in to The 40 Year Secret. Check out the videos there. You'll be able to see the deposition site of Janet's body and where Huff lived, and you won't believe how close it was. A killer had sat under police's noses for more than four decades that close. The tragic tale of Kirsty Grabham, a sex worker killed in 2009 by her husband Paul, followed this in an episode called A Tale of Two Sisters. Kirsty was killed after one too many rows in their violent relationship, and... I explained in the tale how the ripples of the crime affected the family further than that loss of Kirsty, because it sent the person who was closest to Kirsty, her elder sister Haley, closest to Kirsty than anyone else on earth. It sent Haley into a downward spiral that she could never recover from, and she tragically died only a couple of years later. Following that, I covered a tale called Manhunt, which looked at the crimes of an individual named Victor Farrant, who committed a cold-blooded murder, and almost one for the second time following a horrific attack on an escort whose services that he'd procured. 
than the south of England. Now, this this attack, it, it, it was attempted murder because if you see pictures of the crime scene and you hear of the injuries that this poor woman suffered, I mean, absolutely monstrous, and he went on to kill someone else. And Farrant fled the country after committing this murder and, and such a dangerous individual was he considered that warnings to women across Europe were put out. Do not approach this man. Now the tale looked at Farrant's crimes as well, the hunt for him and his eventual capture. A thoroughly nasty individual indeed. Yet another two-part tale. I've had a few of them this series, but some tales... They require a two-part one. There's just so much to them that you can't scrimp on. I never want to scrimp on any tale whatsoever. We'll always bring you as much information as I can get. I will always put out there in the episode. And the following tale, and it was called A Mother's Love, was no exception whatsoever. It looked at the horror that Karen and Roger Humphreys went through in July 1994 when their newborn daughter, Abby, was snatched from a hospital in Nottingham at just four hours old, by a woman named Julie Kelly, who was posing as a nurse. Now I looked at the investigation and the hunt for Abby, which of course was massive, it was front page news for weeks on end this was, and I also looked at the reasonings behind the abduction, which was to show the fruits of a pregnancy that Kelly had decepted to her partner. And it had to be said that Kelly was a somewhat tragic figure herself, though who ultimately went on to have a child of her own successfully. Now I also caught up with the Humphreys family after Abby had been returned to them, who moved to New Zealand in the years following the abduction. Although tragically, both Karen and Abby have now passed away due to cancer, and the episode is dedicated to the both of them. I think what's probably my favourite tale to have done this series followed this with after I had a bit of a lengthy break because I moved house after a mother's love and before the next tale came out. What a bastard of a few weeks that was. It was morning to night non-stop and it was like wading through concrete and I've still got boxes here now a couple of months down the line but we are getting there. We are chipping away at it. But my favourite tale this series, and it must have been because he even bought a t-shirt with his image on it, was an episode called The Mudding of the Somerset Gimp. Now, this focuses on the bizarre tale of Somerset resident Joshua Hunt, which was a tale I originally brought on Patreon in 2022. And in a nutshell, can't go into it right here now, just recap. Have a listen to the episode. It is, as I said, it's my favourite of the series, and... Hunt faced court very late last year for a campaign over the previous few years of prowling around the North Somerset areas late at night, startling people dressed in a full latex gimp suit with creepy looking faces drawn over the masks, which would frighten you to death if you saw it, wouldn't it? Now when he was caught, Hunt's bizarre explanation for this was that it was an outfit he wore whilst partaking in a pastime he called mudding which means rolling around in filth because he felt so bad about himself. In his words in court, I feel shit, I roll around in shit. Yeah, go figure. Now, such an odd tale it really was, but it was one that I loved covering. I always like covering something a bit strange like that. And as I said in the episode, I don't for a second believe that his court appearance is the last we will hear of Joshua Hunt either. And... 
if he does come into the news again, rest assured I shall be watching and I shall be bringing an update to his tale. So I followed Joshua Hunt's bizarre sexual exploits with a tale called Monster on Match, which looked at the terrible crimes of builder Jason Lawrence, who over a period of several years raped and sexually assaulted countless women that he'd met over dating sites Tinder and Match. And this individual even continued his campaign after meeting and marrying someone that he'd met on there. An absolutely vile individual. And another one who is quite rightly now serving life. No other word for him. Monster. Really, really isn't. Four more tales from the Carstairs floor came next when we were back to the state hospital. We haven't been for a few series, so I thought it was high time we got back there. Back to the state hospital for more tales of the horrendous crimes that some of the patients that have spent time there over years have committed. And as the episode describes, I brought four accounts of this. There are several more, but we'll be back at Carstairs in a couple of years down the line. Now, there are some truly disturbing tales in this episode, though, out of the anthology. From tales of misplaced revenge to murder that is just most senseless. There is no other way to describe it. I ruined People's Christmas Day with an episode called Horror on a Christmas Morning, which came out that day, and it looked at the murder on Christmas Day 2008 in Ireland of the Willand family, Mother Amanda and her daughters, seven-year-old Zara and two-and-a-half-year-old Nadia, after Amanda was sexually assaulted and strangled by the local postman, Brian Hennessy. Now, horrifically, after forcing his way into the farmhouse where they lived and raping Amanda, and strangling her, Hennessy left the two children sleeping, and after spending hours in the remote farmhouse where they lived, he set it on fire, and left the children to perish in it sleeping. Now, a truly monstrous thing to do, and it was a tale which angered me, because after serving such a paltry term for committing such horror, Hennessy is now looking at parole. Now, I looked into Ireland's sentencing laws in the episode and how they differ from the UK, and which for things like this, they surely need codifying and bringing into line, because for someone who commits crimes such as that, leaving two children sleeping to perish in a fire, they should never again be on the streets. There are some crimes that you give up your humanity for, and you don't need to see the light of day again. You don't deserve to. Now, another individual who doesn't deserve to see the light of day again came in the following episode called A Job Well Done, which was an individual named Michael Kelly who killed his ex-partner and his son with an axe after he had flipped because he couldn't deal with them having split some weeks before. Now, there were such brutal murders that the house that he killed them both in was left looking like an abattoir. And the murders were especially done with venom because Kelly put on a horrific-looking Halloween mask, the sole reason of which was to ensure that his victims' last moments were in extra fear, aside from someone crazed coming at you with a builder's axe. Imagine someone with a Halloween mask doing it, and, again, made no kind of effort to get away with his crimes. He didn't flee the scene or anything like that. He drove calmly back to where he was staying, and he was picked up later the same day. Doing life now with a minimum of three decades to serve, totally where he deserves to be also. 
So the penultimate episode of this series was not everybody's favourite. I know a lot of people don't like these kind of tales. Three unsolved cases from the late 80s and early 90s of sex workers Linda Donaldson, Maria Rickenna and Julie Finley, who were commonly lumped together as victims of an individual that they call the East Lanx Ripper. I don't particularly like that term, so... I did refer to the East Lanx Road, which each were found off, arguably, if you like, but in an episode called The Spectre of the East Lanx Road. Now, this was another one that Linda and Maria are horrendously mutilated. They were found just three miles apart in a place called Winnick Lane in Lowton and Pennington Flash. It's like a big lake, three miles away, respectively. Julie, meanwhile, is about 11 miles further east, but again, not far off the East Lancashire Road. Now, I got to visit the scenes again for for this episode, took some videos, they're all up in the show's Facebook discussion group, and although all three are commonly linked together as victims of the East Lanx Ripper, I don't believe that they are connected. I believe Linda and Maria are, I really do. I can't ignore the geography and the extreme mutilation in it. I personally think they're connected, but Julie... I can, I can imagine that she's killed by someone else. And very likely there are arguments for two convicted killers, two separate convicted killers, I believe, to be responsible, both of whom are now serving life sentences. But they will, of course, never tell these people. They have nothing to lose to tell, really, just more notoriety to gain. But they save it for when they're really bored in prison over a couple, couple of years, and then they'll get in touch with police and say, oh, yeah, I did this. And then they'll all they'll be the centre of attention again, you know, and this is what these people are like. They they push buttons, don't they? Yes, but very sad tales and you know, three ladies that they're, they're all well, at least two of them were confirmed sex workers, Linda and Maria were. Julie was strongly suspected to be, and sometimes people in that profession don't get the same level of sympathy that say a middle class person would, you know, and that's wrong. Nobody deserves any less sympathy than another person. And I certainly, everybody gets treated the same on the show. So, yes, very, very tragic crimes. Long unsolved now. And hopefully one day, the three women will get justice and they'll get their names heard. Now, the season finale, an episode called Double Jeopardy, I brought, because it concerns an individual, a monstrous killer in literally the sense. He's something like six foot five, he weighs 18 stone, he's got size 14 feet. He is a monster in all shape and form. He really is a guy called David Smith. And he got away with murder back in the early 1990s. A horrific butchery of an escort named Sarah Crump. Now, it's arguably a a technicality that he got away with it but get away with it he did and six years later he killed another sex worker named amanda walker in an equally horrific fashion i'm talking severing body parts with sarah he'd cut her breasts off he opened her removed her intestine proper i think jack the ripper he'd done something similar to amanda now he was arrested very shortly after amanda's murder and he was tried, he was found guilty of that, so he's been in prison since the start of the 2000s. Now, thanks to the double jeopardy laws being codified, Smith could face trial again for Sarah's murder, and this time, only in May last year, 
he was convicted and sentenced to another life sentence. He he will end his days in prison. I don't think he hasn't got a whole life tariff, but he, he is now 67 years old and he's not walking out there. He's been carried out in a box one day. But this guy is was a lorry driver and a taxi driver with a horrendous criminal record of offences against women and he's long suspected of killing other people. I don't believe that if you look at his criminal history, which I do go into in the episode, you'll think he started, say, in 1976 with a horrendous rape at knife point of a woman in front of her children in her own home. And then I don't believe you, you don't go 23 years and you don't go six years between murders, if that's your thing. And to this guy, knife and sex goes together, butchery and sex goes together that's why he likes to see women hurt he likes to see women cut he likes to see women bleeding and it floats his boat too much for him not to have done that many more times now because he was a lorry driver he has been questioned over the years in respect to two of the cases that i covered in the previous episode the linda's murder and maria's murder and i believe because of the extreme mutilation involved in that, Linda was similarly mutilated to Sarah, and Maria was chopped into five or six pieces, put in bin bags, and thrown into Pennington Flash. So I believe this guy, I don't want to think there are too many monstrously evil killers wandering around the country with that particular bent, and I believe he's a very, very good fit as a suspect. But again, he will never tell. He will take his secrets to his grave with him. And that was series eight. Now, it was one of my favourite series to have done. I like all the series that I do. That's why I do them. I try my best with each episode. And I always think that's the best I can do with that tale. And why do I choose what I do? Well, there are some tales that I've had on my list since before I began The Enthusiast as a podcast. And these are the likes of Leanne's Murder or the Unsolved Tales of Linda, Maria and Julie I've just mentioned. Abby Humphrey's abduction, and the monster that is David Smith. Now, all of these tales, I have a list as long as your arm of these, and they all come around eventually, but some just choose themselves. It's the only way I can explain it. I know it sounds a bit cryptic, that, but it is the only way I can explain it. Plus, you've got to try and cover stuff that no other show has, which can be tricky because there are so many shows out there in this genre. It takes so much to research, write and record and edit an episode and you've got to look at what other shows have done recently because we share, we tend to share, especially in the UK, we tend to share the same kind of audience. If you listen to me, then you'll listen to Mike and you listen to Adam and you listen to Caprice and Chantel and Ben and Rosie and Andy and everybody like that you know you listen to all of that and if you listen if you listen to them and they've just covered a tale and these guys are excellent at what they do they really are if but if they've just covered a tale I wouldn't why would I put my effort into covering something that our same listeners that we share had listened to about two weeks ago because they're going to think oh I've just heard that tale I'll just listen to something else so you got to try and find something which not many others have covered. It's worked very well out of the eight series that I've done so far. There have only been a handful of cases that have overlapped or someone else has covered and I thought, well, I'll have a spin at that. You know, it does happen occasionally. That's unavoidable. Of course it is. But you've got to try to give your own spin on it as well. And fingers crossed, touch wood, it will keep going like that. 
Now, other tales that I choose are names and cases that, as I said, I get sent by listeners to the show. Now, that's the likes of Colette's story, which was recommended to me by someone, and Dr. Burkitt's tale, or the tale of Michael Kelly, who murdered his partner and his son with an axe. You know, listeners have sent these cases in to me, and I'll look into them and I'll think, oh, yeah, there's legs to that. There's, I could tell a decent story there that needs telling. Then, get others... Others that I choose for episodes are sort of a spin-off from Patreon Tales of the Show, which is like the Gimp episode and the tales that make up, they really do walk among us. Some I find while I'm researching another tale, and then I'll look at it and mark it up and add it to the ever-growing list that's on my phone. Oh, the fridge chalkboard is long gone out of the window now, because the list outgrew it. And then, with all of these, I just seem to subconsciously pick one. I think, right, that's what I'm doing this time, and I go from there. Before each series that I do, I sketch out a list of about 30 cases, and I think, right, I'm covering that next series. And I always use about 10% of what I list, I really do. But, they all stay in the list, and they will all come over time. Some become Patreon episodes of the show. Or some part of a themed episode, like One Wrong Move, or The Driver, The Dreamer, and The Devil Worshipper. Because as I said at the time, there are tales that I want to tell, but there just isn't enough to flesh out a full episode of the length that I like to do. So, next series is almost upon us. I will be back with you really, really soon. And in the next series, we'll have a Houses of Blood tale, of course. We'll have a Monsters of episode. I'd like to have a couple of listener-written tales, so if there's a tale that's proper lit a fire under your ass, maybe it's one that's local to you, maybe it's one that's always stuck in your mind, or you even have some sort of personal connection with. It might be where you're from, it might involve someone that you know, something like that. If it's something that you'd like to research and write for an episode of the show, then I'm easily approachable. Just contact me through any of the show's social media links, and you won't find me ungrateful at all for doing so. You can also expect a couple of more light-hearted tales which I'll pepper the series with, because I think it's important to break up the horror, and who knows, I may even get to collaborate with other hosts as well. And I'm thinking Jess Carter here, I've got Jess Carter in my mind, and we know, I know we missed it this series as well, but we'll be back with an arc. I missed it, as I said, I was moving house, I was too chocker in my mind to put my head round an arc, but... One will be back in the upcoming series because I've got a particular subject in mind. It was either that or that, and a certain one won, so the other one will probably come next series after series 10. Now, aside from prepping for the show, you can also catch myself, Adam from UK True Crime, and Mike from the Murder Mile podcast doing our thing called Round Table, which you can follow on Crowdcast. It's dead simple to do, and... We have a couple of guests on each episode that we do. We're looking to the second one. is coming out very soon. I think you can still catch the previous one where we had uh, Grace from Red Rum and Andy from Picture the Scene as guests on it. Great fun to do. It really was very topical. The second one is coming up very soon as well. And if you want to listen to it, as you know, or as you may not know, somebody didn't know that I spoke to earlier this series, avid music fan and i always put the tale the, the the track that is playing when i first start researching a case and the track that's playing when i finish triple checking it before i record it they go into and create a playlist and the series 8 playlist is now completed which i have shared on the show's facebook discussion group and have a listen in on spotify if you want it gives you a bit of 
This is what I listen to when I'm doing what I do. So I'm about to get all Gwyneth on you then. As I said, I've loved doing Series 8. It's been one of my favourite series. I love them all, but it's especially... And it's all down to you guys, you know, because if you don't listen and you don't feedback and you don't share stuff or suggest cases and all that, there isn't an enthusiast. It doesn't happen. So it's it's down to you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for making Series 8 such a good one. I will try and top it with Series 9. As I always do, I dedicate Series 8 to all of those affected by the tales that are focused within it. Everybody who's a victim, other families, everything like that. The series is dedicated to them. And specifically, as always, it's dedicated to my dad, JD. If you've got a can of Fosters, if that's your tipple and you've got it open, please raise it to my dad. And I look forward to being back with you very soon for Series 9. Can't wait, actually, guys. So thank you so much again. And all that remains for me to say is that I've been, I still am, and hopefully still will be Paul the true crime enthusiast, wishing you all good and safe times, and I shall be back with you very, very soon. And because it's the series review, and I get to say it, and I always leave it till the end of the the series, but because it's the series review, don't have nightmares and do sleep well. Stay safe all, and I'll catch you very, very soon. Goodbye for now.